Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are rumbling right along with our 2022 team outlooks with the New York Liberty. The New York Liberty, the worst team to ever make the playoffs in the WNBA I believe record-wise they were <laughs> they were 12 and 20 in the regular season last year uh tied as we've talked about before with uh one of these other teams at least record-wise with both the Sparks and the Mystics uh, but they got the tiebreaker good for the number eight seed uh, but they were 11th in net rating that's second to last over the course of the regular season negative 8.2 points per 100 possessions worse than their opponent's they were the 10th best offense in the league, 96.1 offensive rating, and the 10th best defense in the league, 104.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. And they lost to the Phoenix Mercury in a single elimination first round. And a game that was actually pretty good uh, came down to the yeah. last couple of possessions, uh, probably more competitive than we expected here. Yeah, definitely more competitive than we expected, but kind of encap- encapsulates the Liberty season uh, in one game there. So I think the first thing to talk about when reviewing the 2021 uh, Liberty is that they made uh, some significant moves in the offseason to acquire some high-level players, some high-level free agents. Ultimately, I'm not sure how much it really moved the needle for them, considering they went 12-20, and 20, but it did signal kind of a change in approach, saying, okay, we're we're punting the, the quote-unquote hybrid rebuild, and we are going for it. Yeah, when you think about the 2020 Liberty, which had four non-rookies on the entire roster, at least not that, a great team. No. Yeah, not a great team, but also a very specific build of a team, right? They were really kind of embracing the bites at the apple, getting a lot of rookies in and kind of seeing what you could have and aiming for the future around, you know, building around their number one pick, Sabrina Ionescu. And then that was extremely bad. They won two games all season. Uh, they had, you know, one of the worst offenses, I think, in league history. It was pretty bad. Uh, and they signed three high-profile free agents. They signed Ben Jelani and Natasha Howard to max deals, and then Sammy Whitcomb to a pretty uh, pretty big deal relative to the cap as well. Um, Howard, of course, got to the Liberty late from her overseas commitment last year and then tore her MCL uh, 43 minutes into her season and then did not play again until after the break. Laney... And Ionescu definitely started the season off pretty well. The team overall started out with a bang, 5-1. and yeah. one. Uh, That opening night game winner by uh, Sabrina Ionescu, uh, buzzer beater three. Um, and I, I know we, we should probably talk about like that that early start, right? That 5-1 and one start there. Yeah, 5-1. and one, um, Liberty looked like a team that, you know, were on the come up uh, with some, again, like, like we said, high-profile free agent acquisitions. Uh, Sabrina Unescu, obviously a highly, highly decorated and uh, player who gets a lot of attention coming out of college, co- coming out of Oregon. And we figured after she missed most of her rookie season in 2020, like this was this was her coming out party. You know, this is her 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 big WNBA announcement. Like, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to dominate the league like everyone is expecting. But Nigel Laney, um, continuing that uh, most improved campaign from her previous season in Atlanta, seeking to establish herself as a bona fide superstar in the WNBA. So yeah, they started 5-1, and one, and then... I think Ionescu's um, first career triple-double came within that span of, of that 5-1, yeah. so, you know, signifying that she had at least one good game, of course. But that 5-1 and one start was, you know, probably playing a little bit over their heads in terms of the, the quality of opponents. Four of those first five wins, two of them were against the Fever in consecutive games to start the season. 
they beat the Minnesota Lynx without Nafisa Collier, and of course before Leisure Clarendon got there. And then they beat the Sky without Candace Parker or Allie Quigley or Stephanie Dolson. So not exactly kind of beating their opponents at their best. And then the one loss uh, as sort of foreshadowing the rest of the season, we could say, uh, was an absolute drumming. They just got destroyed by the the Mystics. Yeah, so foreshadowing the rest of the season. Um, you have in our notes here, uh, our friend Snap Wilson uh, put it very eloquently. When everything goes well, the New York Liberty win by three points. And when they lose... It goes not so well. Um, very high blowout potential for this team, and not in a good way. Yeah, they had three double-digit wins all season uh, and 15 double-digit losses. They were extremely blowout-prone. Um, a number of 20-plus point losses on their way to go 2-11, and 11, their final 13 games. So it was it was a struggle. Even after getting uh, Natasha Howard back from injury, she did not look like the same player that we were used to coming back from the injury and sort of rehabbing the knee. Um, the big story, I think, for me for this team was like the three sort of building blocks of this team, Sabrina Inescu, Benajelani, Natasha Howard, they just weren't as good as they need to be for this team to be kind of the level of team this front office imagined when they signed, you know, two max players to join their number one pick. Do you think that is unfair to say? No, it's not unfair. And I think some of the uh, one of the major themes we're going to be talking about one of the major themes that is going to be recurring throughout this episode is that um, the high-end talent for the New York Liberty needs to play better. Um, it's very difficult when you have three players, you know, soaking up most of the usage like that, and they're just not at that star level, um, particularly in the turnovers department, which we're going to talk about again and again and again. But yeah, I mean, after that hot start to the season, um, you know, obviously you lose Natasha Howard to the injury and she comes back, clearly not herself. I think both Laney and UNESCO kind of had some wear and tear injuries as the season progressed as well. But I mean, regardless of the reason, they were simply not good enough to elevate the Liberty to the level they needed to be at. Yeah, UNESCO missed some time dealing with still her grade three ankle sprain that caused her to miss the majority of her rookie season and then was like coming off the bench when she was starting to be uh, reintegrated into the lineup. Benajelani reportedly suffered, um, I want to say it was a meniscus tear, over the course of the season, of course, played through it valiantly. You know, really the only two players who you can say sort of lived up to or exceeded their kind of expected role in terms of like this team's core rotation were Sammy Whitcomb and rookie of the year, uh, Michaela Onyenwede, who was, of course, not a perfect player, but, you know, played her role pretty well, all things considered. You know, Rebecca Allen was close to the bottom third of the league in true shooting, despite hitting 38% of her threes because she was, you know, effectively the worst two-point scorer in the league last year. Kylie Shook hit some threes and I think has pretty good pick and roll technique and, and some things you like defensively, you know, but just provides no resistance at the rim whatsoever against bigs or guards really overmatched as a starting center at this point in her career. You know, Jazz Jones and Nia Odom are, you know, obviously no longer on this team for a reason. So going back to kind of the building blocks of this team, I mean, which one of these players do you want to start with? You want to start with Laney because I think her season yeah. is sort of you know, viewed in a couple different lenses, depending on sort of how you feel about the rest of this team and Walt Hopkins and stuff like that. That is a very, very diplomatic way of putting it. I, I know what you're getting to. I'm not going to elaborate on it. But yeah, Benajelani, um, obviously, once again, coming off that most improved campaign in Atlanta in 2020. Um, she leveraged that into a max contract. So good for her. Great for her. Great story. Um, and she started the season very, very well and kind of continuously got worse as the year went on. You know, well, well, let think, me ask you, what what was sort of like different and what was similar in 2021 to that kind of breakout season in Atlanta? 
Well, for the Liberty, she was pretty clearly their go-to player offensively, right? Um, in fact, so much so that uh, her shot profile did not really match what the coaching staff clearly wanted the rest of the Liberty team to to shoot, which I think is kind of interesting. We, we can get into that later. Um, but yeah, you know, she was, she was the alpha on offense. Maybe in Atlanta, you know, there are a few different pieces there who were, were kind of interchangeable in that in that respect. There are different roles. But Lainey, clearly the number one option in New York. Um, yeah, and she was third on that dream team behind Courtney Williams and Kennedy Carter. Third in usage, that is. So, And what uh, was she in the Liberty? Uh, she was number one. There you go. Okay. She, she did make some plays as well, you know, with the basketball. I think maybe was a little overtaxed in her role. It may, once again, maybe this has to do with the... Uh, the bum, the bum knee, the, the meniscus injury. I, I don't know, but I, I don't think you know. I, I think we've we've seen peak Benajelani by now, right? In Atlanta and at the beginning of this New York Liberty season, even if she you know didn't get injured, I'm not sure if her play at the beginning of the 2020 2021 season was necessarily sustainable, and that's completely okay. You know, it just Benajelani is not a superstar player, and that's fine. But you know, there are some there are some numbers that really jumped out about Laney uh, in both ways, in, in, in both directions, if you will. Anything really jump out at you for starters? Yeah, for sure. The playmaking, like I think we saw, a, of course, a pretty significant increase in her usage. And I should uh, correct myself. She was actually second uh, to Natasha Howard in usage, but, you know, Howard, of course, missed half the season. So that's a lot um, more possessions why there. I got confused. Yeah. So, but one major difference I think definitely came in her playmaking and her role sort of initiating the offense and kind of things running through Benajah Laney. And she had a 30% assist rate last year, which was comfortably a career high. So assisting on 30% of her teammates' buckets when she was on the floor. And she took major strides as a passer in some ways. But as you were saying, I think undoubtedly kind of overtaxed in this role. Like she is not that player to kind of be your sort of every possession creator at least on a good offense and this was the 10th offense in the league she led the entire league in turnovers very comfortably 22 more turnovers than anyone else in the league the difference between her and Courtney Vandersloot who was second in total turnovers was like greater than the difference between Vandersloot and the number seven player John Quell Jones so she was turning it over a lot and again you know the supporting cast was not great the offensive system I, I know some people have a lot of issue with issues with but I think you know, I feel like when, when we think about this team's turnover issues, like the first thing that comes to mind really is like Sabrina Unescu's like terrible turnovers, like in transition, the attempted touchdown passes or getting trapped in the pick and roll, you know, all things that Sabrina Unescu definitely struggled with. But Laney was a major factor in this team leading the league in turnover percentage, of course. The only team in the WNBA that turned it over on greater than 20% of their possessions. That is a lot of turnovers, a lot. And I think that hurts even more, you know, when you have a player like Laney, who, I mean, it's, it's kind of atypical to see a wing player or, you know, like a, a, a combo forward, a 3-4 like Laney, have that many turnovers. Of course, it's, it's atypical to see a wing player have that many assists as well. But that's just kind of how this roster was constructed. And like I said before, this is this was kind of a good measuring stick, I think, because we saw the best of Benajah Laney, but we also clearly saw a line in the sand, like saying, okay, this is what she excels at. This is very clearly what she does not excel at, you know? And I don't think it was, I don't want to pick out any part of Laney's game in particular that really, you know, caused those turnovers. I just don't think she's that much of a value-added passer. I think she was just being asked to make plays that she is just not capable of making. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I kind of want to disagree with you. Like in, in their last game of the regular season uh, where she did not really have an effective 
game scoring necessarily. I think she was maybe even under double digit scoring, but she had 11 assists. And I mean, I guess in some ways, like it is sort of a product of her having the ball in her hand a lot. And, you know, there were definitely games, you know, watching this team extremely closely last year where you'd look up and she have five, six, seven assists and you didn't really feel like she had that positive of an impact on the game. But I do think, you know, for a wing and kind of a higher usage role, uh, you know, she makes some good pocket passes and, and she can kind of find shooters in the corner and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I don't on whether, roll, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn whether I would uh, consider her a value added passer, but she at least kind of, you know, she has that element in her game a, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Anything out of, anything else about Lanny? Because, you know, even though her scoring kind of dipped throughout the season, even though her scoring efficiency rather kind of dipped, she ended up being pretty okay at it. Yeah, pretty okay. She she was in the 70th percentile league-wide in true shooting in 2020 in the bubble, and that went down to the 61st percentile last year. And she wasn't really able to kind of make any strides in her efficiency scoring out of the pick and roll for herself. 52nd percentile and you know a big reason is just as you were kind of alluding to before with her shot profile is she wants to step into long twos off those screens you know take one or two dribbles off that screen and kind of settle for a 20 footer or an 18 footer instead of putting pressure at the rim 75 percent of the time when she's using the screen she's taking a jump shot off the screen and 20 percent of the time she's actually taking it to the basket and you know she's okay hitting that shot she has a, a pretty good you know 40 mid 40s type percentage on that but for someone with like her great size for someone running this type of pick and roll volume you know as a wing rather than a guard and she is a really plus finisher 85th percentile around the basket and non-post-ups in the half court like you you just want her to be like a little bit more aggressive maybe stop settling for the kind of you know the the long twos someone you know has to take tough shots and I, I definitely understand that and that was her role on this team but I do think there was some opportunities left on the table there. I think taking tough shots and hunting tough shots are, are two totally different things. And it just seems like Benaj Lani's individual offensive efficiency could have gone so much higher if, I mean, she did one of two or, or both of those things, which would be, you know, either don't step into the long two and just take the three or take it all the way to the basket. You know, one of the reasons why I love Benaj Lani is that she's such a tanky player. Like, she is strong going to the basket. Like, she can she can definitely like help it. your team tank? Well... I don't think so. Right. Um, but I mean, no, she, she's really strong hitting the basket. She can definitely finish as, as those numbers you, you said you, you, you posted alluded to. But also, like, it makes no sense to me, given the team's overall three-point attempt rate. I mean, they took nearly 42% of their shots from three-point range. That was the highest in the WNBA. But it was like Laney was, like, exempt from that style. I'm not I, I do really think sure that why. kind of makes sense for like your best player. When when you have a high three-point attempt rate, those are typically shots that are being created for some like, being exactly. There there are shots that, you know, are are finished plays, you know what I'm saying? That um so so somebody has to kind of, you know, oh, but the other side of that I, I'll say is that like a ton of her spot-up possessions over the course of the season definitely turned from three-point attempts to step into long twos and those I think are even kind of worse uh to me than you know the pick and roll jump shots because you are turning down a clean look from three and you know she practically shot the same percentage on those possessions spot up possessions she was 40.8 percent shooting on no dribble jumpers and 39.4 percent on dribble jumpers so she's hitting those two at pretty much the exact same clip but obviously the difference is when you adjust weighing threes more than twos, 1.16 points per possession on the catch and shoot, 
where she's not taking a dribble jumper and then point. 886 points per possession on the dribble jumpers because she's stepping in. So even though the the percentage is nearly the same, you know, you are just kind of, as you were saying, hunting out a, a less efficient shot. Maybe it's because, you know, she was kind of on a, a bum knee and didn't have the bounce to fire it from a little bit longer or just the confidence to kind of get it up as quick. But it's not good to do that, I would say. No, I agree. Just turning a high efficiency shot into a lower efficiency shot for no discernible reason. I mean, there, there is obviously a reason, but we are not privy to that sort of thing. So yeah, Benajelaine, anything else about her? Yeah, just I just wanted to go the month by month um, okay. because she did start out great. Uh, 63% true shooting in May, and then it went to 54.6% in June, and then 50% July, 44% in August, and then back up to 48 in September. So as you sort of felt over the course of the season how Lainey was kind of being less and less effective and even by September when she saw that slight increase back up to 48% it was on a 19% usage so that's when I kind of feel like yeah that I'm sure is when the knee was kind of bothering her the most obviously if she's going from mid to high 20% usage the rest of the season to under 20% that's kind of a clear indicator to me so one more thing that I kind of wanted to mention here um but before last season her, her story is is, is pretty interesting, right? You know, she was in, she was kind of a, a journey woman in the league, uh, had a previous knee injury that ended her time in Chicago, unfortunately, but she was kind of, for the most part, a, a spot play, a, a spot minutes player off the, off the end of the bench. Um, mostly a defensive minded player who with the nose for the basketball, not really asked to carry much offensively. And then of course her previous season in Atlanta, when she just completely broke out. Basically. I mean, before getting to Atlanta, she was the player you think about as the player that you just completely sag off of and yeah. ignore in the half court. Yeah. 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 I, we, we talked about that extensively uh, back in the day after her, her season in Indiana there, but, um, and before this upcoming season, her second season with the Liberty, she played on five teams in five seasons. So journey woman, definitely, uh, you know, she, she's been bouncing around and I think effective in most of those stints, but well, but defense was her calling card is basically my the point I was trying to make here. And that's that can be a reputation-based thing. And last season, Laney's defensive numbers took a massive hit. Um, her steal percentage cut in half. Her steals per 36 cut in half. And that's not... I also just felt like she was giving up just a ton more dribble penetration. I mean, there so? were also a lot of times where she was playing out of position. And, you know, when they would play nominally Rebecca Allen at the four like Rebecca Allen was not guarding she was guarding the point of attack usually you know those kind of game winning blocked jump shots that you associate Rebecca Allen that was kind of her you know she's guarding guards and it's Benajah Laney that's matched up against John Quill Jones and that's just that that's a tough ask that's a tough ask for anybody particularly someone who's five inches six inches shorter um so yeah so I think in Atlanta her most improved season Laney was one of the better two-way players in the WNBA I think her defense just took a major hit last last season. I'm not sure why it was. Uh, I would expect Laney to bounce back this coming season in the defense department, um, but we'll see. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that, like I said, is kind of reputation based. And for all of Laney's successes last season, you know, I don't think she was as much of a two way quote unquote two way player as she was previously. But um, okay, want to move on? Sure. Let's talk about the other uh, Max free agent that they brought in Natasha Howard obviously a disappointing first season in New York after being brought over on a full four-year supermax and the first overall pick and an additional first in this 
upcoming draft, or I'm sorry, the draft that had just happened, and the rights to a very productive player in Steph Talbot. Um, you know, obviously she missed the team's first four games with her overseas commitment and suffered the MCL sprain in just her second game in a Liberty uniform and then did not play again until after the Olympic break. And it never really looked like she was kind of back to me. Like she did not have any kind of explosion evidenced, I think, by a career low in block percentage and her lowest steal percentage since she her last season in Minnesota. She was averaging nearly five stocks per 36 minutes in her three years in Seattle, and that number cut in half last season. So she was just not able to have the type of effectiveness that really this player needs to have for her to be kind of for her to to be on a good team with taking up this proportion of the salary cap well to speaking to your point there when when do you think of natasha howard's most effective seasons probably in seattle when she was the third or fourth best player on those teams right because she could focus on that defensive role that defensive that active defensive role right really thriving in that havoc inducing seattle storm defensive scheme and I mean, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about players who, whose defenses, whose defense took a nosedive. Howard, you're right. I mean, that was very, very, very underwhelming. Um, and you say, I mean, you I, I, the thing that I always come back to is like, sorry to interrupt you, but like the, the Dallas Wings game late in the season, the Dallas Wings closed the game with Satu Sabli at center and Howard was not able to keep up mobility wise uh, on either end. She was not able to punish Sabli uh, with her, you know, she she has a size advantage there, and she was not able to kind of come over in rotation and make plays defensively. Well, I mean, you kind of just stole what I was going to say. Um, you, you said specifically did not have the defensive impact this type of player needs. Explain that a little bit more. Well, I think coming into the season, uh, and I remember having a conversation with someone about this. It was maybe either before the season or like when Natasha Howard had injured herself and we hadn't seen too much of her, but I kind of put her in you know, the top tier really of weak side help defenders, players that you kind of, you know, just not necessarily the best one-on-one defenders, not the best post defenders, but players that are going to kind of come over from the weak side. They're going to either kind of make a play uh, challenging at the rim, or they're going to come over and double. And and that's sort of kind of what I I associate with Howard is, you know, coming over and, and maybe even kind of what people would say, gambling on defense and kind of taking chances, but it turns into a bunch of you know, uh, steals, blocks, and turning that into kind of transition opportunities. And she just wasn't able to make any of those plays. And I don't think she was really an impactful defender really in any regard last year. And I think a big part of this uh, this equation heading into this this past season was that, oh, you know, the Liberty are going to be this fast-paced, small-ball team. Okay, I got news for you. Every coach wants to play fast in the preseason. That's that's a very, um, a very nothing narrative, if you ask me. But if there was a roster, if there was a a big a front court player who you would kind of associate that with that, it'd be Natasha Howard because she is able to kind of make up for that lack of pure size with that defensive activity. And to your point, she just wasn't able to do that. And offensively, again, kind of underwhelming. And another player who I think like you got a clear, definitive answer of what this player, of what this player's limits are. That's a great point because I think. There were perhaps quotes, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, about her wanting to, you know, win the MVP in New York and, and stuff like that. And that whatever ceiling her kind of MVP value has, it's on the defensive end because she's just kind of an average offensive player, like 56% true shooting since she became a starter, 
two of those years were in like a much more, as you were saying before, kind of tertiary role around Stewart and Lloyd and Bird. She was 58% true shooting or above in those two seasons, 2018 and 2020. And without those stars, like as being more of a focal point in the offense, 55 and 52% true shooting on pretty poor offenses, quite frankly. I think they were maybe seventh in Seattle in 2019 when she was kind of the alpha of the offense. And then obviously they were extremely bad last year. But um, but even, you know, that that Seattle team, that 2019 team, like you know, remember they were like 35 points per 100 possessions better yeah, or something yeah, yeah. when she was on the court. They only had a 99 offensive rating when, when she was out there. It was just they were so abysmal in all other lineups. Uh, so it's not like she was like generating any kind of great offense, but she was the one with the ball in her hands. And, you know, I just don't really know kind of what your ceiling is really going to be if, if that's the kind of player you're you're running things through. I mean, if you're an active athletic big playing with Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, like I would expect your offensive numbers to be a little better than maybe they would be on a team like this Liberty team. Um, but yeah, uh, Howard, I, I also think let's, let's just be clear. It's, I think it's pretty clear. She just wasn't healthy for most of the season. Um, and she was really lacking that burst and that, that defensive activity that's necessary for her to be an impactful player on this team. So hopefully things get better for her in 2022. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, she's in kind of a, a more suitable role. I thought, you know, I don't think I'm as down on Walt Hopkins as a lot of people are, but definitely, you know, how Natasha Howard was using the offense is one thing you could certainly point to. Um, I mean, she's she's not one of those bigs, I mean, and the WNBA has plenty of them. She's not one of those bigs you can just dump the ball down into the post every time and get good results, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, should we talk about Sabrina Ionescu? Yes, let's talk about Sabrina Ionescu. Uh, the oft-discussed Sabrina Ionescu um, had another... I mean, this is kind of the theme for our discussion so far. Another up and down season. Yeah, up and down for sure. I think probably more downs than ups, but there were some real ups. She is now 33 games into her career, which might be the fastest we've ever like collectively punted on a player who actually did have some ups in her first season. But the bads, right? She was terrible turning the ball over. She was third in total turnovers despite, you know, missing a couple games. She was in the first percentile as a transition player. Second worst in the league ahead of only Diana Taurasi because she That's shot. Weird. <laughs> she shot. Uh, Taurasi missed a ton of time last year. So I was, That's true. Uh, 25% shooting in transition for Sabrina Unescu and 31% turnover rate, which is just a wild, a wildly high number and that's in our own scoring when you add in the transition passing uh because obviously you know scoring takes into account for turnovers but not for assists uh when you add in those assists she's up to 51 percentile so so there's a lot of bad you can say about that and the scoring overall like it has to be better and the turnovers have to be better but to be that much of a value-added passer, I think definitely speaks to kind of her ability. And she was fourth in total transition assists behind Chelsea Gray, Courtney Vandersloot, and Sue Bird. So some pretty good passers. And I think when you're just talking about passing the ball and passing creativity and, uh, you know, your your passing vision and just kind of finding finding holes that, that other players aren't going to find, like Sabrina Ionescu is pretty good. She's she's one of the best passers in the league, I think, already. Can I Can I mention a hot take? Please, hot take away. Sabrina Ionescu is good. Is, is that is that a it hot take? It feels like a hot take, but I it think feels she's like a hot good. take. She's good. I mean, like you think about what what her strengths are: vision, value added passing, outside shooting. Right? Those are all really good things to have, especially when the player can do all of those. Th- you know, I you think of all the successful guards in the league. 
They can dribble, they can pass, they can shoot, right? UNESCO obviously needs to clean up the turnovers. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think that's one thing that's going to come in time and she kind of gets her timing and, and everything like that. Um, but I mean, she's undoubtedly a good shooter. She's undoubtedly a really but, but good But as you have in your notes here, like turnovers are going to come when you are a value-added passer. Like yeah. Courtney Vandersloot turns the ball over a lot. Like that's, Candace Parker has high turnovers for a big. Because, because they she, take risks. She's an ambitious passer, exactly. Ambitious passer. I like that. I like that term. Yeah. Um, so UNESCO, I mean, yeah, the turnovers are going to come. Well, I mean, guess what? They came with, with Laney too. We just talked about that. Um, but UNESCO has several skills that you need out of a starting guard, and they are undeniable. So you can say, like, UNESCO is not meeting expectations. I mean, she had a triple-double in, like, her 10th career game. I don't I don't see how that's not meeting expectations, but I digress. You can say she's not meeting expectations. You can say she's not a good defender, which she's not, um, or that she's a disappointment or whatever, but she's still a good basketball player. And I believe her best years of basketball are still well ahead of her. Um, and I think it's a reasonable expectation to say she's going to be better next year. I mean, I guess the thing for me about Sabrina Unescu is like she's probably never going to be the lead engine on a great offense. But at worst, you know, she's going to be a plus shooter and a plus passer and someone who can really add things to your offense because of those two things. She was in the 93rd percentile on spot ups. 94th percentile on on catch and shoot in spot ups and then 97th percentile in on catch and shoots overall like she the That's really good. The dribble shooting needs to come along uh if she's going to kind of play the role that that she's expected to play but even if she's you know kind of a disappointing number 1 overall pick she has the particular skill sets at least offensively like the defense is a problem for sure but the, the particular skills offensively that she's not going to take anything away from your other good players because she can pass and she can space the floor. That's a good way of putting it. I think I think another thing that kind of gets maybe, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say overstated, but like she's not an elite athlete. She does kind of lack that burst, um, which is made apparent if, if your offense is kind of clogged up out there. But for what you need out of a starting guard, she's very good at several things. I mean, I, I think with the ball in her hands, like she's never going to be Kennedy Carter who can just blow by her right. assignment and, and just get right to the rim. But I did think that truly, I, I thought that her finishing at the rim and her ability to even just get all the way to the rim, it improved over time. And, you know, maybe some of that was just playing against not as good competition or, you know, the ankle was healing up a little bit over time. But to me, there was noticeable progress over the course of the season in that specific regard. Okay, so moral of the story is don't punt on uh, point guards after a season and a half or whatever of unhealthy play. Should we move on to to this upcoming season now that we kind of yeah. hit their big three here? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, I mean, probably not the offseason this team had quite envisioned with all the uh, star talent that was available in free agency, but they bring in a very good player in WNBA champion and Olympic gold medalist Steph Dolson. They, of course, fired their head coach on the same day another head coach was fired. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. Uh, but they brought in Sandy Brondello. They, of course, departed with Jasmine Jones and Liana Odom. And they drafted uh, Niara Sabali, number five overall, but she will miss the upcoming season to rehab. Uh, Eric, do you have any thoughts just about kind of that decision, drafting Sabali to to kind of have her sit out the first year? I don't think Sabali was her first choice, despite what people may say. You know, every GM always gets their their favorite player on draft day, right? Um, they had her number I, one. They had her number one. Uh, yeah, she was not their number one. Emily Angsler was. Um, but 
Engsler was not on the board, unfortunately, so they drafted Niara Sabli. I mean, the, the thing is, with Sabli as a prospect, the number one question was always going to be health. She missed two seasons because of knee injuries, and I didn't even know about this until until after the fact. So they obviously had some intel that, that we didn't, um, which is understandable because they're the professionals and we're not. Um, I don't know. Like, I was, I was shocked beforehand because I thought they would have gone with somebody like Kirsten Bell, but... It makes more sense within the context of knowing that, like, okay, they don't, they're, they're technically like stashing her this, this, this off or this season. So they give her time to get healthier or whatnot. So with that in mind, I don't think it was the worst pick, but knowing that Sabali is going to take the season off to rehab and hopefully get healthy for good, uh, it makes it make more sense. And then they, they also traded for, uh, they traded into the second round to draft Lorella Kubai, who we will definitely talk about. Um, definitely. But let's let's start with Steph Dolson, their big free agent acquisition. I think Steph Dolson makes this team better because she's a good player and they need more good players desperately because they, they sure. don't have many. <laughs> but when you just go through this team's like real foundational problems, like I just don't know how many of those Steph Dolson is going to address. Like this team's big problems last year, they turned it over a ton. Maybe Steph Dolson minimizes that a little bit by just like setting better screens they they got called for a ton of moving screens that that's a turnover Steph Dolson um, sets moving screens too but she doesn't get called for it so yeah and Kylie Shook just just could not set a screen their other no, no. bigs could not set a screen but I don't really think she's gonna drastically change you know how they she's not gonna stop Sabrina Inescu from throwing it to the other team in transition they never turned teams over defensively I don't think Steph Dolson is gonna really help that too much do you no uh they never got to the line I mean, I don't really consider Steph Dolson all that much of a, a player that's going to, you know, get six, seven free throw attempts a game. I mean, she's not that high usage. So even if she was good at drawing fouls, I mean, she's not going to be willing she, her way. And she's probably going to be like a perimeter kind of oriented right, player right, on the right. team, I would imagine. They they could not rebound. Ninth in defensive rebounding. I think that'll help. You know, I don't imagine they're going to be an elite rebounding team. But, you know, she's a rebounding plus over Michaela Onyenwede right? For sure. They were only average when it came to following opponents. You know, she might make that worse. She's a, a very high foul player. Yeah. You know, they couldn't defend the best centers in the league. They couldn't stop dribble penetration on the perimeter and their bigs couldn't protect the rim when the guard blow, blows by. I don't think Dolson really addresses any of that particularly well. They were 10th in defending the pick and roll ball handlers and 10th in defending pick and roll rollers, which is a tough combination, I think. Uh, and I don't really I, that, think... I would say that they're bad at defending the pick and roll. Yeah. And I don't really consider Dolson all that good of a pick and roll defender, to be honest no, with I. you. So, you know, those are some of the big ones. They were 12th in transition efficiency. They were one of three teams under 50% shooting in transition, which is bad. But the 20% turnover rate in transition, which is the highest in the league by a mile, uh, second worst was around 15%. So very, very bad turnover transition. I don't really imagine Steph Dolson helping their transition game all that much. Maybe some good outlet passing. But outlet passes, yeah. That, that's probably about it. Now we get to some of the smaller problems. I definitely think she can kind of help with these, right? This team took the highest proportion of their half-court attempts as jump shots uh, and were bottom four in around the rim, non-post-ups. You know, maybe Dolson just being a little bit more of a respected shooter than Kylie Shook or Michaela Onyenwede or whoever's minutes she's kind of replacing. Even Natasha Howard, really. Maybe that opens things up a little bit more. I think we're kind of being generous if we include that, to be honest with you. But this team was terrible getting offense out of the roller in pick and roll. She'll help this, for sure. Like, she's a great pick and pop player. She had a good pick and roll 
season as the roller as well last year. And she'll open things up for Natasha Howard playing in the pick and roll too. So any disagreements or anything to add? No, no disagreements. I, I will add that I think she is a good fit, at least offensively, next to Natasha Howard. Because I think Steph Dolson, she's, she's a player who's going to make the right basketball play a lot of the time. And for a big, she can maximize other players on the floor, whether that's through screen setting or passing for her positions. I mean, she's not Candace Parker with the basketball, but I think she is an above average passer for a big. Well, well um, above average, for sure. Well above average. I mean, that's that's probably one of Steph Dolson's biggest strengths is her passing and, and also her screen setting, of course. Um, and she is a player who I, w- I would consider, you know, I'm, I'm pretty stingy about this, but I think she is a player who I'd consider to be a stretch big. She has consistently hit that shot. She's not a very high volume three-point shooter, but she will knock it down if she's left open. And, and she, she will she will take that shot if she's left open. Yeah, is, she, she's 38% for her career, which is very, very good for a big. Very, very good. And, and, and then you think about how that fits into what this Liberty team had. Last season, they didn't really have a big who could do that, you know, effectively. You know, Kylie Shook tried to be that, but it wasn't obviously working. I feel um, like Shook, you know, I honestly think that Shook is a, a pretty good stretch big, but you think I, so? I think, you know, she just hasn't gotten the respect from defenses yet. Like teams are, are allowing her to take that shot. We'll get into this kind of in the Kylie Shook portion <laughs> that I'm sure okay. we'll get to. But overall, like I think just, you know, the reputation that she has and kind of the gravity that she has is going to be a step up. And then even if she's not taking that shot out there, you, you know she's going to at least make a good decision and a crisp decision with the basketball. So whether that be like a like a little bit of a high-low action with Natasha Howard or a handoff into a nice screen. I mean, how, how many times do you see that in Chicago, right? So, yes, I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, it does seem like a situation where it's like she'll improve what they're already good at, but she's not going to completely turn around what they're bad at. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. She's a player that fits in well with their strengths, or at least their perceived strengths, because they honestly didn't have too many strengths. But shooting was one of them. Uh, passing, I think, was one of them, even for a team with such high turnovers. Um, but she's a player that fits in well with their strengths, and, and one who you know doesn't really solve any of their major weaknesses, to me. But I, I'm ready to be proved wrong. Okay, so I think that's a good segue into one question that you had about this team for 2022. How much are they going to be rolling with Natasha Howard at center? Because like we said when we were talking about her 2021 season, in theory, she's like a small ball center who can make a lot of plays on defense. We didn't see that much last season. So if you're investing in that heavily in Stephanie Dolson, as they did this past offseason, I would hazard to think that Dolson's going to play like 26 to 28 minutes a game on this team, which would probably reduce the amount of minutes that Howard's playing at center, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what Steph Dolson is, right? She played 20 minutes a game last year. She's... Never played 30 minutes a game in her career. You know, she's like a 24-minute-a-game player. Uh, Obviously, a lot of that is because she falls a ton, you know, around five or so, maybe as high as six in the bubble, falls per 36 minutes. So, you know, a little bit of trouble staying on the court. But Howard, depending on kind of where she is health-wise, is also maybe not the highest-minute-per-game player. So when it's not Howard and Dolson out there, like, are the are those minutes going to be Willoughby and Onionwede, or are they going to be Shook, Kubai, Hanzu? Like, what what does it look like when it's not the full starting lineup? Do you think Willoughby or Onionwede can admirably be, like, you know, a small ball kind of stretch for without this team just getting totally killed? Okay, so honestly, now that you bring that up, I think uh, Rebecca Allen might also be a stretch for Like, that was supposed to be a thing last year, wasn't it? Um, but that 
really, really bad two-point percentage from Allen kind of tanked her value last night. But, but she never guards fours. Like, you can call yeah. her a four, but she's she's just, like, anytime she's up against a, a, even, like, kind of not a four that you think of as, like, a power player, like, she's just getting put in the goal right away. She's a perimeter player, and your small forward has to shift down to the four. Well, in that case, I just see a lot of players who are built like threes that are going to be moonlighting as fours just for the sake of it. You know, I, Willoughby is pound for pound, like maybe the strongest wing player in the league, but I don't know if she's got the rebounding or the explosion to handle the four. Um, and Onion Weddy, I mean, we, we went back and forth on this. I don't think she can really defend any position well right now. And as a four, I mean, she's probably just going to be sitting out there in the corner, not getting guarded. She is a very good rebounder, obviously, but she's also like five foot ten, so kind of loses some of that value there. As a, you as a you don't think board. she's uh, her listed six feet? That is absolutely ridiculous. No, not at all. Um, so to answer, I, I honestly have no idea. Do you have Do you have a strong opinion on this? Yeah, I always kind of lean toward like these players are all like roughly in the same neighborhood as players, and I think Willoughby and Onion Wede definitely have a chance to be better players and more productive players than Shook and, and Kubai and Hanzu. So I do lean going a little bit smaller. Yeah, you'll probably get crushed on the glass, but like this team's going to get killed on the glass anyway. Mm-hmm. They, they don't yeah. have very good rebounding. So Willoughby, I want to be as excited, I think, as a lot of other people are about Jocelyn Willoughby. I know you're a big Jocelyn Willoughby fan. Jackie Powell from the Next is a big Jocelyn Willoughby fan. Hey, the, Jackie. The ghost of Ben Dole was a big Jocelyn Willoughby fan. Oh, so <laughs> very smart people like uh, support Jocelyn Willoughby. I, I just haven't seen, I think, what... But I also didn't see her play in college. So that, that could be a huge reason why. So my honest assessment here, first of all, very, very important context. She's coming off a ruptured Achilles, right? That's an Achilles injury, not the devastating injury that it once was in basketball, but still pretty darn tough to come back from, especially if you're looking for explosion, right? Um, will be, I think once again, her main strength is her strength. She is a, another very tanky wing player who is going to want to slash to the rim and, and shoot the three if it's presented to her. Um, her rookie season was kind of weird because I thought on that tanking team, that atrocious team, she would have gotten more minutes than like Jazz Jones and Naya Odom, but that just Yeah, she was like seventh on the team in minutes. Very, very strange. Very strange. And she was a player like back then I would expect it. Okay. This is a player who they, you know, they traded a first round. They, they, she was traded for after being selected in the first round. This is a player they really like. They're going to be a bad team and play their their players they're invested in. Um, that was not the case. She had a rough, rough, rough rookie season, you know. Um, a player, another player who, you know, comes in from college being just stronger than everyone else and having a very tough time finishing at the rim. Yeah, you know, I, I would like to say that's just going to improve just because, you know, like like Jackie Young is a prime example, right? Uh, a very, very strong wing player who's used to being stronger than everyone else, but maybe needs a year or two in the pros to really get that under control. Um, I think the difference, though, is that, like, even Willoughby was never particularly effective as a two-point scorer. Like, sub 40% from two her sophomore and her junior season. She pretty she was up to 46% her senior season. But so when you combine that with her ineffective rookie season— you know, some of that was just kind of, you know, what, what you're talking about. The Jackie Young's like, all right, well, that'll finish next year, like when, when you kind of get acclimated to pro strength and stuff like that. But a lot of it was just, you know, she, I don't think, had a ton of explosion vertically. You know, decent burst to get to her spot, but she had her shot blocked a ton um, and she didn't really get fouled all that much. You know, the shooting, I think there's reason to be pretty high on it, even though there was 
low volume in the bubble. She shot 40% on 37 attempts or whatever, but she was a plus shooter in college, 40% shooter her last three seasons uh, at Virginia. So on 275 attempts. Yeah, so she that, can shoot it, yeah. That, that's real deal, I think. Uh, but she was zeroth percentile attacking the basket, uh, attacking closeouts in 2020. And again, you know, that a, a weird year, a weird system, weird roster construction. But, you know, some of those are pretty decent looks, and she's getting blocked by, like, Candice Dupree and Kennedy Carter and stuff like that. So. Yeah, not great. But I do think, you know, she's she's probably stronger. Who do you think defensively can hold up better as a four, Willoughby or Aninwede? I honestly, I honestly think Willoughby can because she's just that strong. I mean, I do know that she can defend perimeter players better than Onyanwede. I think one thing you're really critical of Onyanwede is of is her like her footwork defensively on the perimeter. Um, like I said, I'm not sure Onyanwede even has a position defensively. Willoughby does, but there's just no evidence that she can do it against WNBA bigs. Yeah, I think Onyanwede probably better attacking a closeout, at least in terms of what we've seen from both of these players. She's uh, so explosive. Yeah, her finishing again, was significantly improved uh, month to month, I thought. Like, towards the beginning of the season, attacking the closeout when she's kind of turning down the three-point shot, you know, a lot of kind of no hope throwing herself into her layup. And, and I thought there was yeah. just a lot more craft later into the season from Michaela Onyenwede. And she has given you much more volume from three so far, but the, the percentage does need to come up. You know, 33% is not amazing for, you know, how open she's being left a lot of the times. So... I also think Willoughby just has a slightly more versatile shot. Like even in those 37 attempts, I feel like we saw more of her taking a three-point shot off the dribble than we saw in like Michaela Onyenwede's 100-plus attempts last year. So she can kind of at least do something with the dribble, whereas Onyenwede really is just kind of a standstill, catch-and-shoot, and like straight-line driver. Well, you know, so just to add to that, as someone who watched them both in college for, for several seasons, Willoughby's a scorer. She's a wing scorer. So they're, they're, they're two totally different player archetypes at their respective points in their careers. Onion Wede, she was a player who was basically just like a very raw basketball player in her in her career at UCLA, kind of getting taken along. And, you know, you could tell they were working on her skills with uh, as, as the seasons went on, but she wasn't really even a respected three-point shooter at, at pretty much any point in her collegiate career. So bas- just pure ball skills and shooting skills-wise, she is very far behind Willoughby because they're just not the same type of player. But when you're talking about comparing two different players and putting them in the same role, I think that's that's maybe kind of where some of the disparity is coming from. So it's an interesting question. Um, and, and I do think these two players will be competing for minutes. Like these are kind of, okay, yeah, yeah, unless sure. you're like going to slide Dolson up to the four and play Dolson no. with Shook and Kubai. <laughs> like I, you know, one of these two are going to be kind of in heavy rotation minutes, I think. You'd think Onyenwede has kind of a, the upper hand right now as the reigning rookie of the year and will be, of course, coming off the Achilles injury. But um, yeah. We'll see where that goes. That's an interesting position battle to watch for. Well, and then the other kind of um, backup big spots, we have Kylie Shook, Lorella Kubai, and Han Zhu. And you just have a real hard team, hard time seeing all these players make the team. You know, they're not going to carry, I guess, what is it, nine bigs when you add in Willoughby, <laughs> Willoughby and Onionwede. And, you know, they have 13 players and are hoping to get Marine Johannes over at some point in the season. So I think people are excited about Kubai. They, you know, acquired the pick to get her, which I think probably says something about how, you know, they wouldn't trade into the second round. I mean, maybe they would, sure. but it seems unlikely when you think about it, like they're going to go get this pick to draft this player who they're just going to end up cutting. Zoo, I think, you know, there's a little bit of hassle anytime you get a, 
a player from the Chinese national team to come to the WNBA, you have to get it cleared. And, you know, they've well, had I mean, her. This, this guy acquired Lee Yuru and, and then they found out she can't come over. So it's yeah, like, oh. exactly. And, <laughs> you know, she's already sat out two consecutive seasons. So to have them go through all this hassle just to kind of cut her in training camp instead of, you know, just holding on to her rights for another year, maybe again, kind of stacks the deck a little bit, but, but just in terms of, let, let's start with Kubai. Like I know people are really excited about her game defensively i think she has pretty good size for her position as well and obviously an accomplished defensive player in college what, what do you like about her game defensively okay first of all i love well this is kind of dodging the question but i love her rebounding um she's a player who will rebound outside of her you, you can tell she really takes pride in her rebounding like she will go and get a rebound that's like halfway across the court um she's very mobile for her for her size and she's like a legit six four she's not like a like a string bean six four she's got some she's got some meat on her and that strength is functional defensively maybe not offensively um but yeah like I said she moves pretty well she's a very good help and post defender I think it's maybe rarer than people might think that you see both of those traits in a in a good usually it's it's like like Natasha Howard, for instance, really, really good help defender, maybe not as good of a post defender. I think Kubai excels in both of those areas, at least against, you know, college competition. She's obviously going to be matched up uh, much more fairly against pro level um, size. But yeah, I mean, I think she can both anchor the paint and, you know, do a little bit out on the perimeter, maybe not a ton, but she can play in basically any kind of defensive system, which I think is, is huge for a big. And she will finish a possession with a defensive rebound, no matter where she is on the court. So that's what I love about Kubai. Maybe what I don't love so much about Kubai is her offense. This is something that, like, I I kept... She has a lot of tools, but they just really never materialized, you know? Um, she can theoretically shoot, but, like, she was never a good shooter. Like, they never went in, you know? She wasn't really good at punishing switches either. 17% from three this year. Not great. Not great. Not great. She wasn't really good at punishing switches at Georgia Tech, which is something I think really stands out in a negative way. Like, I, I think... What, what was the game? I think they were against Louisville um, when it was just atrocious offensive performance by both teams really horrible game to watch honestly but whenever kubai would get like into the she'd get uh, a mismatch on the post and she just wouldn't really assert herself and the commentators kept saying like i need kubai to assert herself you know basically the 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 sort of um commentary was like gotta feed the big girl well they weren't doing that because she wasn't really asserting she doesn't really have a go-to move offensively um and that reflects in her two-point shooting percentage like she's just not a good scorer she, she's a she's a poor scorer for her position she's a poor scorer she has no go-to move and it's something that I kept waiting to see because he's a very toolsy player, but it just never happened. She does. She can pass it. She can pass it from the top of the key. I think she was actually Georgia Tech's leading assist player. Um, context there is that they had like no ball handlers. So there was a lot of very slow developing offense, top of the key stuff, like a lot of triangle action. Kind of reminds me of how the Chicago Bulls used Joakim Noah in that role under Tom Thibodeau. But I just think that this has like so little value. Like if you can't actually score yeah. like in the WNBA, like pro teams will just play you to pass. Like you have to be able to either hit that shot reliably from, you know, free throw, free throw extended type area or drive and finish oversize. And I have severe doubts that she's, she's not going to do either of those things. She's not going to do either of those things. It, it's, it's much more of a, a connecting skill. If I can put it that way in the WNBA, rather than something you can actually run your offense through. So I would be very, very surprised if Kubai was even an average offensive player if she makes this team. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think she can beat out Kylie Shook. I'm, I'm not a big Kylie she, Shook She fan. also never gets to the line, which, you know, yes. for her player uh, of her size and a player who has the ball in her hands a pretty decent amount, even if she doesn't have the highest usage, you know, she's passing it a lot and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that another kind of 
check in the uh, concerning column. Also, yeah, that's a good point. So, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll be surprised, and the uh, and the playmaking for or the play finishing, I should say, will come around because like that wasn't really her role at Georgia Tech, but she, I mean, she wasn't very good at it at Georgia Tech either. So, uh, I digress. Um, I think she can be an Kylie Shook. I also wouldn't be surprised if she gets cut because I'm just not sure of the offensive upside. Uh, this is a team that clearly needs help defending in the front court, and that is one thing Kubai can do. So, if that's what they want, that's what they're going to get from her. Any notes on uh, Han Zhu? You know, obviously was not a, a WNBA level player the last time no. we saw her over here in 2019, but that was her age 19 season. And she's, you know, 22 now, the same age as a college senior. So I, I can't really speak to how much stronger she got. Like I don't watch the Chinese national team, uh, but her strength was a big issue. Her rebounding was a big issue. Her finishing inside was a big issue. I remember, you know, her, her shot looked okay. I think that's kind of one of the appealing things about her as a player with her size and, you know, she can she can stroke it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, don't okay. But can she do anything that a big needs to do besides block shots because she's so big? Yeah, that uh, that would be my concern. I I don't remember her moving laterally particularly well. I think that was a huge weakness of her three years ago. Now, you know, I, I think Stephen, I think when you see um, bigs shooting the three, some people can tend to kind of put the cart before the horse, if you will. Like, okay, well, this is great. She's a stretch big, but if she can't do anything that a big needs to do before shooting a three, it's like, well what are you really getting out of this position? You know, the organization does seem to value her. You know, they, they took the trouble of, of bringing her over and yeah, uh, they value everybody. It seems, seems <laughs> this is, do. this is training camp. Kylie shook. You know, I think I like her more than either of these two options. I, I know it seems like you're kind of leaning Kubai a little bit more, but she, I think her game just makes the most sense in the WNBA. Like she's not a plus finisher for her size. She never ever gets to the line five free throw attempts in 500 minutes. Uh, which if that sounds familiar, we just said that same exact number last week from Mariah Jefferson. And she is like a bad screener. But I think in time with like a training camp and a full season playing with Steph Dolson, you know, maybe that can be improved on. But the good, like of the 18 players who took at least 53s last year and hit 38% of them, she was the only center on the list. So she like can shoot the ball pretty well for her position. We'd like to see the volume come up a bit. Like, honestly, I think Kylie Shook should probably take over 50% of her shots from three. Like, she should have over a 50% three-point attempt rate. But she's been a pretty consistently plus shooter, like, at Louisville, albeit on similarly smaller volumes, right? It's like 55 attempts per year, 48 per attempts in a year, you know, never never really kind of like... um you know, really firing away out there, but 38% shooter three out of the four years and 38% overall uh, on 233 attempts in college. So her defense... 2020 wasn't good, but that was a very small sample size. Yeah, well, I think, what did she go, like one for 17 or something like that? Three three for 17. Three for 17. Um, But I think she's pretty decent playing the pick and roll two on two. Like she has, I think, pretty good mobility, corralling ball handlers. Like she gets in good position, has good technique. The problem is, like, she's just not any kind of deterrent at the rim. Like, guards will finish over her extremely easily. Bigs, like, you know, she's not a post defender at all. Like, you know, Sylvia Falls will just absolutely put her in the goal. You know, well, which, you know she'll do that to anybody. She'll do that to anybody. <laughs> but the things that I think you associate with, you know, WNBA centers kind of more traditionally, maybe some of the old school heads, uh, she's not good at those things necessarily. But I think she she's a pretty modern center, and I, I like her game more than, I guess, I like her game overall more than I do kind of the day-to-day, which is probably not necessarily the best sign, you know, because she, she does frustrate you, I think, watching, and she kind of has the flubs at the rim and uh, finishing at the rim, I should say, and, again, can just get finished over pretty easily defensively. But 
the idea of Kylie Shook is certainly, I think, more enticing to me than the idea of these other two players. You want to go to get into uh, potential strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we've been going a little long here. Yeah. I think this is going to be a good shooting team. They were a good shooting team last year, and they added one additional good shooter. And, you know, none of their good shooters are really aging out. They didn't lose any good shooters. And maybe one more year of Sabrina Ionescu. You know, they were 38% uh, three-point attempt rate, which uh, they were breaking their own record for the highest three-point attempt rate in WNBA history. I imagine with new coaching, that probably won't be as high. But they hit him pretty well, 36%. They were third in the league in three-point shooting last year. So I think they'll they'll be a good shooting team. I think they're a good passing team. Like, I know they had a, a league-high turnover rate by a lot. But, you know, Sabrina Ionescu and Benajah Laney, yeah, they need to cut down the turnovers. But I think they're, they're good passers. Dawson is a good passer for her role. Whitcomb for, you know, a an 18 or 16% usage player is pretty good as, you know, a tertiary option. Is it dumb to call a team with this high turnover rate a good passing team? I mean, I think you can say maybe playmaking instead of passing, playmaking for others. The the ball sec- I think you can I think you can separate passing from overall ball security. Um, like they can make some good passes. Um, I know what you're trying to say, and I, I think it is possible to separate the two things. Um, so yeah, I think this team. I, I don't think we can quite put it there yet, but I think there may be like one player away from being pretty versatile to be able to kind of play two bigs or shift down if one of Willoughby or Onion Wede works out. In the right matchups, if you even want to shift Benajelani to the four when you're playing Rebecca Allen, I mean, those were their five best players last year, right? Ionescu, Whitcomb, Laney, Allen, and Howard. And honestly, I don't think the Howard lineups were too too great, but when you replace Howard with Shook, like that was a pretty decent lineup. Anytime Ionescu, Whitcomb, Laney, and Allen all played together, the, the team could actually score pretty well and you know, pretty much all other circumstances they couldn't. So if they just kind of get one of their other players to break out, I think, you know, they can they can give you some different looks, but you know, probably not relative to the the rest of the league, uh, because other teams just have have better players. Are there any other, I guess, like serious strengths that come to mind for this team? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, not in relation to the weaknesses. I mean, we already listed what they were bad at last season, and it was it was a pretty extensive list. Um, no rim protection, no interior defense, no perimeter defense. Uh, rebounding is going to be a problem. What else? Turnovers probably still going to be a problem, right? Yeah, dribble penetration is probably going to be a problem. You know, they have one player in Benajelini who can get all the way to the rim. You know, maybe she just doesn't, so but you know, she she does okay sometimes. Maybe Asia Durr getting back healthy, you know, who knows how far along yeah. they they really are in their road to recovery. But you know, dribble penetration I, I do think with how limited kind of ex- explosive wise Sabrina Unescu is, you know, Whitcomb can can get there on occasion but isn't really the best finisher. You know, I think her finishing numbers were okay, but not a player that you really think of as, you know, a sure thing when it comes to kind of making contested layups. Um, well, she's not going to get to the foul line. That's the problem. Yep. Uh, Willoughby and, and Onion Wede will see, you know, big, big time question marks when it comes to their finishing at the rim, I think, still. Depth, you know, particularly guard depth. If if Mourinho Hennis does not come over, this team has essentially three players who can dribble on the entire team. And that's, you know, maybe you can throw Asia Durr into that group as well. We're rooting for Asia Durr, for sure, but it's Definitely. extremely hard to 
count on positive contributions for a player who missed two seasons with a serious respiratory ailment, obviously. Doesn't need to really be said, but to, to just kind of contribute or, or count on uh, Durr to be, you know, a value-added player, I think is a, a lot to ask for at this point. So you're talking about UNESCO, Whitcomb, and Laney as players who can actually, you know, dribble and break the paint with the, the dribble and not, you know, just helplessly kind of get the ball picked from them. I would say Dee Dee Richards, too. I mean, she can dribble, but she's she, not Yeah, really she good. can dribble, but I didn't really kind of include her in this list just because, like, it doesn't really matter if you can dribble if you can't actually do anything with it. You right, know right. I mean, I mean she's, she's going to dribble and she's just going to hand it off and then just go stand on the wing, right? I guess, you know, efficient scoring from your bigs, I think, is a concern. You know, Dawson can probably give you, you know, 58% true shooting or something on lower volume. Like you're saying, she's not uh, a high usage player. Um, But Natasha Howard, you know, she's just never kind of been that type of player. So strengths and weaknesses. Okay, so I don't think this is this is insignificant here. They've hired Sandy Brandello to be their head coach, and she's been around for a while. And she's had some success for a while uh, over in Phoenix. Would you say coaching is a strength or a weakness? Like, do you think she's just average? What's your call? I am not the biggest Sandy Brondello fan, to be honest with you. I think there were a lot of stale Phoenix years. Would you say that statement right there? Is that fair or unfair? That's very fair. That's very fair. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this extensively as well. There, there, are, there are years in which, you know, they were just continuously not improving at rebound and continuously, you know, making lackadaisical mistakes on defense i mean whatever the reason she was not getting much out of her players in those areas year after year after year right there, there was some regular season malaise that being said like she has come in and just completely turned a malaised team around in one season you know her first year in 2014 i'm, I'm sure we've talked about it before but you know Incredible. they they turned it around defensively they went from the worst defense in the league to the best defense in the league and I don't think this team has Brittany Griner, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> but you know, maybe you can still get away from the second worst team in the league. Uh, I know one thing you can't get away from. One thing you can get away from, and it was your least favorite thing ever, and that's playing like three to four poor offensive players in the same lineup all the time. Yeah, I mean, Walt Hopkins, one of the many issues I think that people had with him was just just playing the no chance lineups where it's it's Jasmine Jones and Dee Dee Richards and Liana Odom, you know, maybe Rebecca Allen's in there, but there's so many lineups where one of Sabrina Ionescu and Benajah Laney weren't on the court. And, you know, that's probably fine if you have like a real backup point guard who can run an offense, but they had a two guard playing backup point guard in Jasmine Jones who can't score from two and can hit a wide open jump shot, but isn't really going to kind of create a ton of value added passing in her own rights and, and stuff like that. So the number of just no chance lineups, maybe we see less of those, but again, like what does a lineup look like with Laney on the court and Sabrina Nescu off? Like they still don't have a ton of great. I was going to say, who, who's their backup point guard players. now? Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's Benajah Laney and she's playing with Whitcomb and Allen or Allen and Michaela Onionwede at the three and, and Allen kind of plays the two. This is where kind of their lack of guard depth, I, I think is pretty concerning, but you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, he, maybe Rebecca Allen is ready to play a lot of different positions and, and Michaela Onyewede can survive in bench lineups at the three, but still a concern, I think for sure. I think the absolute best amazing case scenario is that Asia Durr comes back a hundred percent and really just kills it out there. Uh, I think that would be like the best story ever, but you know, I think we need to uh, be realistic about that. I-, I would love to see Asia Durr back healthy. 
I hope they are. Um, and I think in, in, and, in and also, ideally, you know, a lot of this can be alleviated with a certain French guard maybe coming over at the end yeah, of the maybe French Mourinho season. Has, but that's, uh, what, do we ever get a definitive answer on that? Because it was looking good at, at the start and then now it's just like, well, we don't I know. I think like, best, best I'm interpreting it is like, it depends how long the French season goes or how deep their team goes into the playoffs, I guess is probably a more appropriate way to put it. But Right, right. The French season does go longer than I think most other domestic leagues. So that is a concern. And there's always the, the case of uh, international players just saying, ah, no, I'm not going to come over this year anyway. So that would be, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously the ideal scenario would be Mourinho Hannes coming over um, or Asia Dur, you know, proving that they're they're fully healthy and, and sliding into that backup point guard role. But right now, it's a concern. What what do you see as this team's ceiling? What is best case scenario for this team? Oh man, I I can't go any higher than like a six or seven seed, honestly. Like, what are they? How much can they realistically improve from last season? You know? Yeah, I think maybe you know best case scenario, like Sandy is able to kind of rekindle some of that turnaround first year magic. We get the best versions of. Benajelani, like all the best things from her bubble season, including some great three-point shooting and some willing three-point shooting and all the best things from her season last year, you know, some of that playmaking and I don't know, kind of being able to sort of stead an offense as the number one option at times. And then maybe some of that outstanding defense she played early in her career, which I think was not consistently there last season. And then we get the best version of Natasha Howard back to being a play finisher offensively and is able to get back to that defensive player of the year caliber player here in her age 30 season. And she's once again, just a terror and help defense and forcing turnovers and getting a high number of stocks. And, you know, Brondello is able to run out WNBA rotation caliber players for all 40 minutes, which I think was not necessarily the case last season. And there's no drop off from Sammy Whitcomb's great season last year. And, you know, there's moderate improvement in Sabrina Ionescu's game and she's healthy you know she I think she had a quote the other day saying that she's healthy for the first time since her ankle sprain which I, that means nothing honestly but oh, but you know maybe there's incremental improvement in her, in her shooting and her ability to get to the rim and that results in you know like you're saying a sixth or a seventh seed there's there's just no real championship upside I don't think or even hosting a first round series I don't think with this group of, of players that I just it I don't see it Okay, so to be fair, I think when you talk about getting bounce back seasons from Howard and improved UNESCO and, and and Lanny staying consistent, how much how much of that can be attributed to just being healthy? Like I could see that happening, you know. That's not that's not really a pie in the sky scenario, I don't think. Yeah, I guess like the bigger concern is just like is Howard in an increased role actually an okay, effective all right, player? Yeah, I you got know you, what I mean? Got you. And then worst case, you know, this is basically the same team as last year, but they're losing by eight every game instead of 25. Like they, they still don't have enough high level players, whether it turns out to be Laney or Howard, like their best player is like, you know, the ninth, 10th, 11th best player on a team. You know, when you look at just some of the other teams, you know, the best player on a team that not that high, I think, considering, you know, when they play two bigs all the time, it's Dolson and Howard. It just doesn't solve any of the defensive issues or the rebounding issues. And when it's Shook or Kubai or whoever else, they just can't get enough offense out of those lineups. And, you know, Sabrina doesn't take that leap. And Howard just isn't the level of defensive playmaker that she needs to be and continues to have a 30% usage and just isn't that good in that 30% usage. And, you know, none of Richards or Willoughby or Onion Wede are really able to kind of contribute to the level of being like the seventh player in a good team's rotation uh and they're not really able to cut down on the turnovers like i don't think that scenario like all those things are all that 
far like out of realistic possibility that it seems well no because most of that happened last year too right so yeah i mean i could definitely see this team missing the playoffs i think they're gonna be like i think they're you know we did dallas last week um i think they're gonna be around the same level as the wings would you agree yeah i would say so pretty realistic maybe a team that makes the playoffs and maybe a team that you know is anywhere between 10th and 7th i guess what what is their identity going to be? Because I think last year we we kind of maybe the narrative kind of formed itself like okay this is a team that wants to play small and fast and shoot a lot of threes and yeah they shot a lot of threes but they were I believe about middle of the pack in pace. Um, they played a lot of lousy lineups as you said. So I mean it's you can't get out in transition if you never force turnovers and you never stop anybody. That's true. That's true. So with that being said, will they be able to keep this, that consistent identity under Brondello or nah? I guess will they be able to play more consistently to their strengths than they did last season? You know, it's I think it's one thing to say, yeah, we want to shoot a lot of threes, but okay, where are those threes coming from? Are they just lob the ball around the perimeter and, and taking turns jacking it up? Or I mean, th- this is like probably an insulting thing to say about a very accomplished head coach. But like a a concern I have is that Sandy Brondello wants to play Natasha Howard. Like she's Brittany Griner and dump it down into the post Howard. I think, you know, Brondello runs nice sets. I I think they have like some pretty good actions, but at the same time, like they do kind of run like a very post heavy offense in Phoenix, but you know, that's obviously, you know, good coaches adjust to the personnel that they have. So yes, I, I, I'm I'm going to give Brundell the benefit of the doubt here, and, and she's going to realize that she doesn't have the best low-post player in the world on this team. Um, and I just don't think that would make much sense anyway because they just went out and they signed Stephanie Dolson. But I don't know. We'll see. The roster, mostly the same. So this is a, this is a great example, though, of, of an instance in which you could say, okay, we have pretty much the same team, and there's a lot we need to clean up. So new head coach, work your magic, you know? Yeah, I mean, the path to coach of the year is there because we saw okay, what right. this roster looks like with um, a less accomplished head coach, let's say. <laughs> it's, 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 funny. it's funny you bring that up. It's like, how many coach, coach of the year awards went to a first-year head coach whose main objective was just be better than the previous head coach? You know, I, that might be what you're alluding to here, so... Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Went a little long on this one, but I think uh, it was a fun one. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing. We love those heartfelt reviews so much. Uh, On Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, you can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E and myself at Trinkwald. And I think we'll have a two-episode week this week, Uh, so we'll be back Well, we have no choice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're, we're running out of time. So we'll be back soon with the Washington Mystics. All right, take care, everyone.